Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at BYU's International Cinema. This is the eighth episode of this fall semester 2021. I'm Marila Oskarsson, Assistant Director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by our co-director, Mark Yamada. Mark specializes in contemporary Japanese cinema, literature, and manga. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be back, kind of, and <laughs> still here, but also coming back. So I'm excited. I love the podcast, and this is a great film. This is a great film. The series this week is about childhood, and we have four great features. So Good Morning is the one that we're going to talk about from Yasujiro Ozu, one of my favorite filmmakers. He was born in 1903, died in 1963. So Good Morning comes late in his career. Yeah. Would you please let us know how this film fits into his work? Yeah, sure. So Ozu, one of the three kings of Japanese cinema, along with Mizoguchi Kenji and a director that we've shown a lot here at IC, Kurosawa Akira. Uh So Ozu and Mizoguchi and Kurosawa are usually considered to be the three kings of Japanese cinema. Kurosawa is a little bit more well-known, right? He's kind of has a lot of films that we've screened here, Uh, but they're all working during what's known as the golden age of Japanese cinema which lasted really from the 1950s to the early 1960s. Um, Japan lost the war in 1945 and was kind of in the midst of rebuilding the country. And uh, during this time, the film studios had a lot of power, kind of like in the United States in the Hollywood system. They were vertically integrated, which means that they had directors and actors and staff all under contract. They all had to work at that same studio. And so it was a little bit of a monopoly. I think it was actually kind of ruled a monopoly in in Hollywood. So Japan was like that as well. And I think it, in some ways it was very controlled, but it also resulted in a lot of great films. And so it was a really great period for filmmaking. And Ozu's most well-known for his film Tokyo Story from 1953, which is often considered one of the best films of all time. Um, but a little known fact or, or something that people don't really know about him is he's actually known for his comedies. And what I think I really like, I like about this film is that it really combines that comedic sense with a little bit more of a drama uh, style, dramatic style as well. So it's like you mentioned, kind of later in his film career, one of the last films that he made, but again, kind of combining maybe the, the best of his career into one film. So you mentioned a more comedic aspect of the film. It is it is funny. We laugh. Yeah, yeah. It's about children. The, right. the point of view is as well yeah. from, from the children's point of view, great actors. Right, right. We could maybe mention that it seems that this suburban society, families, they are only have boys. <laughs> is, there, <laughs> is there a comment That's there? interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. That, that Now that you mention it, that is, it's kind of... Little boys a, there. A lot of boys. Yeah. I, yeah and, and you see that in his films a lot. For some reason, he focuses on boys. I don't know why. That's something that, that would be kind of interesting to look into. Anyway, uh, yeah. You do, and I think maybe it's because of the nature of the humor, maybe, mm, right? That yes. it is, is kind of about passing gas. Yes. And, so, <laughs> and the music that accompanies that. Right, it's right, excellent. right. Yes. So, so it's kind of like a... Yeah, and I think that's something that our audiences might find funny, is it really is kind of a film that's based on 
fart jokes, right? For <laughs> from beginning to end. From beginning to end, yeah. But but more serious themes as well, sure, right? Sure. So we do laugh in this film, but um, we see a great divide between mm-hmm. the generations. Yeah. People like we're, we're wondering, like we see the children really changing and moving a right, direction, right. and we're wondering if the parents are going to follow. What are some of the deeper, more serious themes that you see in this film? Yeah. So I think you mentioned as we were talking before that there's there's this whole kind of generational divide a little bit, right? And the way in which children and their parents, and so this is right after the war, so the 1950s, and you get kind of capitalism coming in, you get consumerism, and and a little bit more of a kind of a democratic sense of freedom, and a common theme in Ozu's films, like Tokyo Stories, is divide between the younger generation and the older generation, that the younger generation is kind of independent, they're more consumer-minded and and a little bit more selfish, and they've kind of lost, lost touch a little bit. They've moved to the city, and they've kind of lost touch with their traditional home, some of the culture, some of the communal experience, the family. And so you see a little bit of that disintegration, and it's in this film, you see a little bit of that, but it's really kind of more pronounced in Tokyo Story, kind of more somber. This film it plays with that a little mm-hmm. bit. I kind of like this film because it makes fun of adults as well as children. So the children are kind of laughing about fart jokes, but mm-hmm. but the moms are talking about washing machines and television sets. Mm-hmm. So I think Ozu's maybe saying that both conversations are e- equally maybe vacuous, right? That mm-hmm. we kind of this modern culture where we've become consumers and we've maybe lost meaning and, and tradition and things like that. So that could be a little bit of a, a criticism there in his films. Yeah. So we see the moms wearing the traditional kimonos yeah. and the shoes, even the hair dress, right, right? right? We see the dad a little bit absent in those families, would you say? Yeah, yeah. That That's kind of the ideal at that time is men were working for their companies and, and helping to rebuild Japan. And so a lot of his films revolve around women in their homes and the interactions that go on between these homes that were very close together. You see that, this kind of gossip culture that develops, right, between the mothers. And and they can kind of actually see into each other's homes. And the way that he shoots the interiors is really interesting. And his sense of space is really interesting. He's working in a genre called the shomingeki, which are films about kind of everyday people, normal, mundane events. And shomingeki were more slice-of-life styles, so they, they weren't really these traditional narratives that had a beginning, middle, and end. They were more about several different people and their daily lives, and so a little bit more of a vignette style. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that in the film. There's a few different themes that are developed. There's not really a central set of character. I mean, there, there are characters, but they don't really have a star or a central character. And so a little bit more of a vignette style. And I think because of that, Ozu, instead of tracking a story, is interested in kind of looking at spaces in the film. And he does this, I think, in a lot of his films. He's in some ways going against classical Hollywood cinema sense of space where space becomes kind of a backdrop for story to develop and so you you know in some ways the different techniques of of turning space into a stage right so you have like the 180 degree rule where you have characters on a set and there's an imaginary line that's created between them and and the idea is that camera won't jump over that line right it tries to capture them almost like you're watching characters on a stage Mm -hmm. because if you do jump around too much it's disorienting right for the viewer and so you really want to control space and, and turn it into kind of a stage Imagine watching a play and you're watching it from front and then you kind of jump over and you're watching it from the back and suddenly characters are in different positions and Hollywood cinema really relied on these techniques in order to tell a story, right? Because otherwise, if viewers are disoriented, then they they don't follow the story, they don't follow the character development. And so Ozu 
kind of in some ways goes against some of these. And he doesn't really do it consciously or, or out of rebellion, but I think it, in some ways it makes sense for him to maybe shoot films in a different way. And some of his films will actually jump over the 180 degree rule or, or the line a little bit. And so you're kind of shooting from one side then you'll shoot from another side and it's slightly disorienting. Mm-hmm. But I think he's, he's interested in looking at space and kind of the wholeness of space a little bit. And there's a few different things that are usually associated with him in terms of techniques and things to look for maybe as you're watching mm-hmm. this film in terms of space. One is the 180 degree rule. So he'll, he'll kind of break this. And this is not a hard and fast rule. It, you know, a lot of films that we show here at IC, directors are breaking this, but this is really early on. This is the 1950s. And so there's still kind of this sense of, of a classical way to make films. And so he's kind of, in some ways, resisting that a little bit. He also likes to put the camera on the ground, if you notice. And this is because, you know, obviously people would sit on the ground, right, mm-hmm. at this time in Japan. Now they kind of sit more up, but they used to sit on the ground and they used to have tables and the family would be on the ground. And so he'd actually put the camera on the ground. It's called a tatami shot because tatamis are the mats that are on the ground in Japanese homes. And so he put the camera right on the, on the ground and it kind of created a very interesting look at the way of, of a room. It, it was a different way of almost constructing a, a set in that way. And so that's something to look for is, is the way in which he really has a low position camera in a lot of his films. Um, and a lot of it's just practical, right? To kind of capture people on the ground. And the final thing that he uses and he's really famous for are known as pillow shots. And these are intermediary shots between scenes. They're cutaways maybe to an empty hallway or an object or a building. And so you might have a scene in which two characters are talking in a room and the camera and then it'll cut and you'll have just an empty hallway. And then it'll go to the next scene where characters are talking again. And so it's kind of like this this nice little rest between scenes a little bit, intermediary shot. A lot of times they're just kind of still life and they're often without people. It's just kind of a, a hallway. And there's kind of a debate in terms of these shots of whether or not they're establishing shots. An establishing shot is, is where you're turning a space into a stage, like you're going to set it up for action to happen. But it's almost like they don't really serve that purpose. Like it's, there's an empty hallway and then characters will never move through there. But it's almost like you're just showing different parts of the house or different mm-hmm. experiences of space. Space that's not subordinated to telling a story, but almost the expansiveness of space. But you don't really see a lot of, I think you sometimes, you know, in the films that we show here, I see some of the art house films, you'll see that nowadays, that, that directors are, are not so much interested in, in following characters around, and but they're looking at spaces just for their own sake. A lot of the eco stuff that we show that becomes about, you know, space itself. And I think Oz is doing that a little bit, which is interesting. So look for that when you watch his films, is how he's kind of using space in interesting ways. And maybe breaking some rules, but um, drawing attention to those things. So that's that's a couple things to look for. Yeah. Interesting. You say he's not rebellious. He doesn't do this in the rebellious mind, yeah. but but we see that those little children are definitely rebellious. Yeah. So, so maybe, this maybe is a there film is. about rebellion. Yeah. So maybe there is oh, a kind yeah. of a, a sense yeah. of rebellion. I, um, I always wonder, like, if directors are, like, if they're consciously doing this or, you know, because sometimes, you know, we as, like, film critics we look at them and say okay he's doing this and this and this but i wonder if it just feels natural you know to them like oh i'm gonna shoot over here i'm gonna shoot this and so Mm -hmm. i think i think he understands the rules but i think in some ways maybe it makes sense to him maybe Mm -hmm. to shoot in a certain way and the importance of space and boundaries yeah um Coming back to the tatami shots, mm-hmm. um, for me, what it did as a, as a viewer, the story is very much from the perspective of the children. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I was I was looking with those eyes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so anyway, that's that's what a really it, nice it point. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're talking about this whole week, right? Is this mm-hmm. idea of not just using children as 
a set piece or something, but that we're actually trying to look through the eyes of a child, right? And I think you do that here in this in this film. Oh, definitely, yeah, very well. As well, coming back about the theme of of boundaries and space and crossing boundaries and space. Yeah. I mean, the TV bringing a TV <laughs> in this this intimate home. Yeah, that's a, a huge symbol of modernity. Yeah. Other ideas. We see that communication is very important. You mentioned the gossips. Yeah, of the the housewives. Right, but that communication is super important. It's, is there a fear that modernity technology will take away from from this type of communication that we see in the film? That's, and then we see that the boys, the way to rebel is to stop speaking. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. So yeah. there's just like yeah. different layers about communication, not communicating. Yeah. How do you communicate? That's a really nice point. Yeah, the, the, their whole way of rebelling against this is to not to speak, right? And so they're refusing to communicate. And like you said, the TV, like not all the homes have TVs. And so the, the children go to the homes where they have a TV. And it's almost like there's this one way of communication where they're just kind of watching something. So I think there is this fear, right? Yeah, and this fear of like liking of education, because at some point she said, oh, they did not go to their English class, I think yeah. they missed because yeah. they watch TV. Right. So it's like, oh my goodness, we're not controlling. <laughs> like it's, it's, yeah. it's in this one, it's in, in a way, and it's a very controlled space. Right traditional habits right. and then the children are changing the tv needs to come into the home to satisfy them because yeah. they stop talking <laughs> i mean there's a lot of fears right? yeah there's a lot of fear i think you, like you mentioned about development and modernization almost like the same fears that we have about our children nowadays on social media too much and you think yeah. is this normal is this okay. right are they connecting are they communicating and and i guess there is some kind of you know we look at the tv thing we think oh it's just so harmless right mm-hmm. but yeah so there is this kind of and i think Oz is really kind of drawing attention to that generational divide. The whole idea of communication is interesting because the whole title of the film is Ohio Gozaimas, which is good morning. Mm-hmm. And the ending is really nice because you have a couple who who kind of have a romantic interest in each other, but they have a hard time communicating. Mm-hmm. And so they say things like good morning. And good morning is a very, yeah. just kind of a nice greeting, but it, there's a lot more that needs to be mm-hmm. said. There's mm-hmm. miscommunication going on. And I think in some ways it parallels even the, you know, the jokes in the beginning, that these are all things that we say, but yet there's a certain emptiness to the way that we communicate. And I think that's his fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a visionary filmmaker at the end of his career, at the end of his life, to be able to make such a modern film, right? Yeah. And still the same theme about the divide between right. the, the generations, but with something very modern, right? Right, right. Yeah. right. How do you see the influence of Ozu on other filmmakers and maybe more modern filmmakers that, that our audience would know? Yeah. So another director that we're showing this semester is Koreeda mm-hmm. Hirokazu, who did Still Walking, that mm-hmm. played last week. Yeah. Um, and The Truth coming the truth out coming in November, yeah, yeah. even though don't be deceived because it's in French. Right. It's with French actors, most yeah. of them. Uh, it takes place in France, yeah. but it is, is it a Japanese film? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think you'll see a lot of his influence. Um, and it'd be fun to kind of watch those films together because you'll see it coordinated doing some of the same things with space, mm-hmm. but also his attention, like you were mentioning, to communication and, and relationships, the kind of subtleties of communication that go on in the home and the family. Cordeta also makes films about everyday people, mundane things and situations mm-hmm. and families. And it's really wonderful to see him develop interactions between characters that is so truthful even you know for those of us who aren't from japan we say oh you know i have an aunt like that or my mom and i talk like that or there's that same kind of anger that i have towards my sister or my brother and i think he's he's able to kind of capture those relationships really well so he's definitely somebody who's influenced by ozu in that way yeah so go see the truth in november and and look for that if you've missed uh, still life last week yeah 
Great. So we talked about his style. So this week is about childhood. We have a series called The Garden of Childhood. How does it fit into the series? We have uh, a documentary about Cezanne Street. Yeah. We have a film, Hunt from the Wilder People. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that. Like, what's the connection? I think, like you mentioned, that in some ways we were able to see things. I wonder if it's about children and we're not... We sometimes with children in our society overcode them. We put so much, you know, they're, they're the future, they're, you know, the, the center of our society and all these things. And in some ways it's maybe about letting children be children, mm. you know, talking about fart jokes, um, you know, the Ricky Baker song and in, mm. in uh, mm. Wilder People is kind of a fun, mm. I mean, it's a silly little song, but being able to kind of play like that and be silly maybe is, mm-hmm. is what these films do well. The directors of both these films, I think, are really good at kind of capturing and, and showing children as children, right? And let's add Truffaut to that list. Yes. With Small Change this, this week, Truffaut has been talked about as capturing the essence of childhood. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is a heavy week if you want to see them all, but really... Yeah. Go see them all. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And Sesame Street was another one that I, I really liked because it didn't really condescend to children. It was a show that was in the 70s and 80s, I think, a children's show. And it was great because it would deal with heavy issues like death, but it wouldn't do it in a way that was silly or childish, but it would respect children in that way. And so the, maybe the theme of respecting children or, or honoring childhood mm-hmm is something to look forward to this week. One of my favorite weeks for Me too. the schedule. We wanted to do something a little lighter yeah. with COVID and everything. I, I don't think we we did that with our week on, on aging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but true. but you know, very important films. But this week is is yeah. a delightful this week. This will be fun. Right? Yeah, this will be a lot of fun. Yes. So. so go take a break at IC. Yep. Pick a film, watch them all. That's right. Go back to your childhood, you know, tell some fart jokes and, yes. and sing the Ricky Baker song with all of us, right? Because I'm sure there'll be a lot of people at, at um, Hunt for the Wilder People. Expecting right? a lot of a, a young <laughs> audience to, to that film, huh? That's right. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, all our listeners, for joining us today on From the Booth. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We're solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. As always, we thank our producer, Devin Glenn, and our sound engineer, Marina Ekstrom-Pratt. We would also like to acknowledge the musical talents of Johnny Stallings, who wrote and recorded music for the podcast. Until next time, see you in 250 of the Kimball Tower. 